Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. All right, go ahead and move back to your seats. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Orlando Science Center. Uh, Today, we're going to be tackling the issue of Chinese spy balloons and... uh, See, all y'all are like, the the U.S. government is shooting down cylindrical objects out of the sky. And like, if you've ever watched Ancient Aliens, you know that that's not new. We've been doing it since 1947. So we're actually in a series called uh, The Human God. And uh, we like to begin every year um, allowing one of the Gospels to center us on the story of Jesus, that as Jesus' people, this is what is central to us. This is what's most important. Um, It may sound radical sometimes uh, as Christians to say we place the greatest emphasis on the Gospels within the text, Um, that not all scriptures weigh the same. Um, It's not a flat text. Whatever it is that gives us that portrait of Jesus, that is what we elevate the most. And so we take very seriously the Gospels. And so this year, Um, We're allowing Mark's gospel to carry us through the story of Jesus. And we talked about how last week, um, Mark's vision of Jesus, of the story, is very action-oriented. This isn't a Jesus who says nearly as much as we find in Matthew or in Luke, um, these kind of long sermons or discourses. That's not really present in Mark, uh, but there's a lot of action. And it's these words that Mark uses that, like, and suddenly, and in the next appearance, and, and he's constantly moving the story along because he wants to give us this vision um, of who Jesus is as this alternatively son of man, son of God language. And like Ma- uh, Matthew and Luke, as we journey along, watching Jesus interact with people, Um, whether it's his disciples, whether it's the religious or the political elite of the day, whether it's the impoverished or the the oppressed, we come to the same conclusion that they do through the story, that not only is this uh, the anointed one, this is not just the ambassador of God, but this is God in the flesh. And so this is kind of our main uh, lens through which we're reading Mark, that if we want to know what God is really like, we watch Jesus move through the world and we listen to what Jesus has to say. Um, we don't have this kind of, uh, you know, conceptual idea of God that we develop, and then we try to fit Jesus into that. That's not how Christians do God language. Um, that's something that we get from philosophy, uh, maybe from some, from some other religions, and we respect that, but we don't say, well, here's this big picture of God, and then we work our way down to Jesus. We start by looking at Jesus and making the radical claim. No, first and foremost, that's what God looks like. That's our best demonstration of what God is actually really like. When God speaks, it sounds like Jesus. When God acts, um, he moves as Jesus moves. And then we build our concept of God based upon what we see with Jesus. So, um, this week I had an opportunity to go on a little retreat, um, this beautiful, uh, beautiful resort town called Jacksonville, Florida. Has anybody been there? Oh my gosh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Just, there's the highways and the other highways and uh, the tolls, I mean, it's just beautiful. Um, but I was able to spend a, f- a few days with people that I was in ministry with over a decade ago, 
I was kind of a last-minute gathering um, of some of the folks that I worked with at the Anchor in Nashville and some of our friends uh, from kind of all over the eastern seaboard uh, coming together. Um, we had one of our spiritual mothers, Diane, lead us on these meditations each morning to really work through some things, to ask big questions, and we spend a lot of time talking and sharing, and um, you know, some people I've kept in contact with, some people not so much. Um, and one of the things was that I forgot my computer. I, like, I had my computer, I had my books, I was going to go, I'm like, great, I'm going to write this sermon while I'm up there, and then I got that and I immediately realized it on my computer. So I had to like write my sermon in a notebook, like it's the dark ages. Um, so I... But I like to, you know, I like to, I like to get it all out there and then rearrange it and come up with this thing for you. And that didn't happen. I had to actually, like, when I got home on Friday, kind of scramble to to write things down. Um, so it, it, this might be a little bit different, but I think it's going to be really good. But one of the neat things about that this retreat and hearing where everybody else is at in our kind of fellowship of pastors was there was a, um, you know, people are at different stages of uh, working through their callings, uh, working through who they are, what they're there to do. Um, some people in my circles would be a little bit more like uh, the prophet Jeremiah, where they don't want to do what they're doing, but they feel this thing rising up within them. Um, like Jeremiah says, like, to, f- to feel the fire in the bones kind of language. Um, some people uh, haven't had active ministry for a couple of years, and they miss what once was. And there's, there's that temptation to become nostalgic and be like, man, if we could recreate what we did 10 years ago, because that was really good. And my reflections in it was like, yeah, what we did 10 years ago was great, um, but I don't want to be anywhere else than here, because I like you guys, and I like my job, and I like my community, and thanks, thanks, Victoria. Um, and that was, but it was good to slow down and reflect on that, to not, like, yearn. I mean, many of you, you know, we've talked about this before, like, a lot of you, maybe you feel that sense. Maybe it's not Maybe it is like something ministry related or you had really in, like intense Christian community for a season where you were completely devoted to one another, whatever it is. Like, it's good to reflect on the past, but when we get trapped trying to recreate that, we miss what God's doing here and now. And for us to come together as a community and to look into each other's eyes and be like, oh, this, it's you. you you're, you're the one that's here, you know, and I'm here. And this is the thing that we're doing currently. That acceptance of this moment I think blesses who we are today. It blesses where we have been, but it also helps us to move forward in that. So I just want to encourage you in that. Like as you're doing the work with the Lord and you're like thinking about the past, how many of you are like past-oriented people naturally like me? You're always just, you just drift when you have any spare time. Um, Let the past be in the past, you know? Uh, We're going to be talking a lot today about the idea of forgiveness especially, and I think that that's very appropriate. So what we're going to do, I want you to pull out your phone I want you to open up a new note, or if you have a pen and paper like you're in the dark ages, you can just do it that way. And I'm going to lead us on a meditation. So uh, this week we're focusing on Mark chapters 2 and 3. We're going to read the first story in Mark chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read it meditatively. So um, we do this every once in a while. I've been teaching some of you how to engage with Scripture meditatively. Um, There's a difference here in that we're not necessarily analyzing the text like we would uh, to kill a mockingbird. Is that book still allowed, or did we ban that one? No, I'm serious. I think it's not officially banned, but, you know, yeah, probably. Who knows? Um, Children shouldn't read. It's just a really bad idea. 
Um, but there's another way in which we read Scripture called like sacred reading or Lectio Divina where it's, it's more like we allow the story to wash over us and we try to remain open to it. I think analysis, love me some analysis, like you're focused, you're coming in, you're looking at the historical context and the cultural context, all these things. That's really important. But there's this other type of reading where you open yourself up and allow the story to wash over you. And again, to have the audacity to believe that the Holy Spirit will enter you into the story and begin to show you things there that you need to see. So as I'm reading this, I want you to consider uh, you know, what's happening. Like, what is it that stands out or makes you curious? Is there a moment where somebody says, especially these stories are really helpful for this, somebody says something and it just captures your attention or you, you see the scene in your mind's eye and there's just a very curious little scenario developing. Um, What's the feeling in the room? So this is a really great, again, story for doing this kind of meditation. It's like, what is the emotional context? Mark, he's so busy getting us through the story that he doesn't give us a whole lot of emotions in his, um, uh, in his gospel. So really trying to feel what it might have been like to be in that room. And I think especially um, in this meditative reading, when you watch Jesus, um, how's he taking it all in? Like, how's Jesus presenting himself to the people in this story? Um, and I think that's where we really allow... That's, I think this is where Scripture becomes sacred. Um, it becomes sacred when we actually engage with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus through Scripture and allow him to speak to each one of us. So um, this is going to be um, Matthew chapter, or sorry, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read it relatively slowly, and then I'm going to give you a minute or two just to jot down some things. What stands out? What makes you curious? What's the temperature in the room as this story's happening, and, and how are you perceiving Jesus in it? So, let's pray. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this space, and this time, and these people, and this story. Lord, would you help us to enter in to this moment, whether we're struggling with guilt and regret in the past... We're struggling with anxiety of the future, things that would rob us of being in the present moment. Would you instead help us to be here now? Would you speak over each one of us what it is that we really need to hear that draws us deeper into relationship with the human God? Speak, Lord, for we're listening. few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on.
when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So I want you to just take a minute or two and just jot down some of your observations. What stands out, what makes you curious? What's the, t the emotional temperature of this story? And what do you see in Jesus? Feel free to keep uh, jotting things down if, you, if you're still going. That's absolutely fine. Um, but it's imperative that we engage in this kind of reading of Scripture. It's like the, the Catholic theologian Karl Rahner has said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or nothing at all. And a mystic is just simply any, anyone who claims to have an actual experience of God more than just having all the right doctrines in your mind and knowing how to behave yourself. It's someone who has that lived-in experience of God. And this kind of reading of Scripture helps us, uh, it, it opens us up for an encounter with the Spirit of Jesus. Um, and many of you probably grew up with this story, right? You, you probably had the flannel graph version of this story, and they'd be moved around, or I'm sure uh, the Donut Man had some like song about it, or VeggieTales later, I don't know if they did, they did this story. They probably did. Um, sacred reading of VeggieTales, of course, is imperative uh, for the modern church. Um, so it's a very, you know, when we read it through fresh eyes, it's actually a very odd story. There's a lot happening here. And again, Mark, he's not terribly, I think um, Mark maybe, you know, I'm just wondering about his personality type, that he's just like, we're just going, we're just telling you the story, like, you got to make up the own, your own emotional context for it. But um, there's some very interesting things happening here. So Jesus comes home to Capernaum, so he's, we can apply he's moved. Um, and this might be his house. That's actually one. I don't know if anybody picked up that um, within the reading. This might be Jesus' house. 
So when they dig a hole in the roof, they're digging a real hole in Jesus' roof. Uh, so it makes sense that Jesus would say, well, you are, your sins are forgiven because you just dug a hole in my roof. Um, but there's so many people gathering around. There's so already in Mark chapter 2, there's this, there's this hunger to draw close to Jesus. Um, and that hunger spills out of the room um, through the doorway that people can't even get close to the house, let alone to get into the room with Jesus. And so already there, we're like, what is it about him that's drawing them in? What is there about him that's drawing us in, that we want to crane our necks to see him, and that we might even do some very strange and ridiculous things to get close to him? So as I was, you know, without my, uh, I didn't have any commentaries this week, um, I didn't have my computer to do the, the research and to really look into like what's happening here, I had to kind of sit with the story and allow it to wash over me time and again. And it, it took me a couple days to really work through some of the things that the story was eliciting in me. But these are a couple of the main things some of the observations that I came to. Number one, um, there are real constructed boundaries between us and God. Um, There are boundaries between us and God that are usually things that are of our own construction. These false uh, roofs, false walls um, that we have allowed to box God in. And if we are to draw close to the God that is revealed in Jesus, we have to contend with some of those false constructs that we've put up. And so a lot of that might be um, things that you've been taught about God or things that you assume about God that put distance between you and God. Um, It may be something like, um, yes, God speaks today, but not to me. That would be a wall. That would be a false roof. Um, That um, God makes me earn my way into his presence. That would be another one of those things. There's these ideas that we've picked up, and, and we talk about this a lot in our community, that what you believe about God shapes how you see yourself, how you see other people, how you see the world. There's even psychological research now that even people who no longer claim to believe in God are still being shaped by the God that they no longer believe in. And so one of the interesting phenomenon in this kind of great deconstruction era that we're in is that you still need to contend with the, with the image of God that you were raised with. You can't simply just say, well, I don't believe anymore because that image of God continues to uh, shape how you perceive yourself and your place in the world. And number two, I really, really enjoyed this revelation. Um, The faithfulness of our friends can bring us into a sin-forgiving healing encounter with the human God. Now, what do we often do with stories like this? We want to systematize what's happening. and And we love principles. We love to develop principles. So we're like, Okay, with this guy, he's sick. Jesus forgives his sins. He's sick because of his sin, which I think isn't wrong. But then every time someone's sick, we say that it must be sin. That's just what we do as humans. And we have to release the temptation to do that. Um, Whenever we see, like, there are no real patterns for the way that Jesus heals people in the scriptures, which is great. So in this instance, it's the friend's faith that brings healing to this guy. That's just what's happening in this story, is that a biblical principle? I don't know. It's just how it works. But each of us have people around us when we, when we don't have the energy or we're too sick to draw close to Jesus, we have people. Hopefully you have four friends that can gather around you and can bring you into the presence of Jesus. And through their faithfulness, you will receive the forgiveness of sins and you'll find healing. Uh, number three, this one... Um, was real heady for me, thinking about 
kind of on the outskirts of this story, we have these scribes, teachers of the law, the religious elite. And they see this whole thing happening, and their response to it is like, how dare Jesus forgive sin? That's God's job. That's not his job. Um, are there people that we refuse to let receive forgiveness because we have resentment towards them? Yeah. Because um, we're not playing the game. You know, they're not playing the game properly. They're not behaving themselves. Um, they don't believe in the right things. And we take on that Pharisaic perspective where we stand on the, uh, the outcropping of what Jesus, like we're close to Jesus, sort of. We don't really know why we're here, but we're like relatively close to Jesus. And then we see Jesus doing things in people's lives, and we're like, well, how, how dare he do that? He doesn't know them the way that I do. And so often, we're going to talk about this in a moment, like it's our resistance to the radical forgiveness and healing of Jesus that shows that Pharisaic spirit we have to go, well, this isn't how this works. These people deserve things, and those people do not deserve things. Um, and we have to really contend with that in ourselves. Uh, and then fourth and finally, and this is where I think the main work of the message today comes from, that um, the human God is compassionate to restore and heal us, but he does this by addressing the root cause in our life as well as the symptoms. I often think about the healing work of God, and, and at the older I get, a lot of these words like healing, restoration, deliverance, and so on, they all really kind of mean the same thing, maybe perhaps from different angles. Um, but the more that I see the healing work of Jesus in my life and the life of people that I love, I, I see that God addresses both the root and the symptom. Um, yeah, right? It's like, it's like when you have, you know, I have this uh, gorgeous big live oak in my backyard. How many of you got one of those on your property? Um, and the city came and took away like a third of it this past year, and I hated it. It looks all funny and lopsided, and it's lopsided in the direction of my house, so I'm kind of worried about that, but one of the things that you have to do with a sick tree um, is you have to start on the outer branches and cut your way in, as well as starting from the roots and cutting your way up. So you can just deal with the branches, you can deal with the symptoms, but if you don't get at the root as well, what happens? It just comes right back. Um, and that's true in our lives as well. We deal with symptoms of our problems, uh, and we cut those things away, but then they just seem to come right back, or they manifest in a different way. Um, and God is gracious enough when he brings us healing, he deals with those symptoms, that, that, that our outer world, our outer self, but he also comes right to the core of who we are. But the, the real struggle that I had with this passage and reading it is this, this, this whole forgiveness thing. What does forgiveness of sins actually mean? And why do we see this order in this story that Jesus forgives sin and then tells him, take up your mat and go. Why does, that, why does that matter? No one was asking for forgiveness of sins. We don't know if this was a garbage human being or if he was just generally delightful. Like, we don't know why Jesus would forgive his sins first. And so that was really the thing that stuck to me the most in this reading this week. And so by extension, you have to get stuck there because if I get stuck there, you get stuck there. Um, and that was what really took me a couple days to work out. Like, what is the relationship? Is there a, is there a pattern here? Is there, is there a pattern of heaven between forgiveness and then restoration? And so that was what I was really meditating on. And this is what I realized about forgiveness this week, that forgiveness is the gateway into the kingdom, okay? Forgiveness is the way by which we enter into the kingdom of Jesus. 
And so to hold on to offense, and what does that mean? It means either to refuse to forgive others or to refuse to be forgiven. It's to make ourselves the gatekeepers of heaven. This is what happens to us. When we refuse to forgive other people, we, shut, we slam the door of heaven in their face and say, nope, you don't get to come in because of what you have done to me or because of what you have said to me. And we hold them, we, like, we are, like those Pharisees, we're getting in the way between Jesus and the people that need forgiveness and healing. And I think we need to really take that seriously, that forgiveness is the gateway to the kingdom. So this week, one of the meditations that our, our spiritual mother took us through was kind of reading back over our story. Like the first day, a lot of what we were doing was examining like, um, what were the gifts that God has instilled in us and how have those manifested or changed over our lives in ministry? Um, but the second day we did, looking back at what are some of the betrayals or the hurts that we've experienced in ministry that maybe still, they kind of control us. They dictate a lot of how we choose to operate today. And are we really allowing the light of the Holy Spirit to shine in those things? And it was interesting to me to sit in this room with people I ministered with 10 years ago, people that had led me, that had brought me into ministry, and realize, oh, a lot of those people that betrayed me or hurt me are in this room right now. And I'd say that right in this moment, too. A lot of the betrayal and hurt that I felt is already, it's in this room right now. Some of you have betrayed me, and you've hurt me, um, and it's fine. We'll take care of that. But one of, as, I, as I processed, as I was kind of writing these things down, I, I, was, I was examining my emotional context for that. Because this is what a lot of times, again, we listen to our feelings, not because our feelings are truth, but they kind of point us towards the truth if we listen well. And I was just examining, like, what are the feelings that I feel when I sit across from these people that some of them have hurt me or said disparaging things to me? And I realized, I don't feel anything anymore. Now, five, six years ago, absolutely. Um, I would have carried a lot of grudges. There was a lot of screaming at God and shaking my fist in the, in, uh, to the heavens in my backyard. And um, you see things on social media and you just like, you have that feeling inside of you like, ugh, that person, how dare they, or jealousy or whatever it is. Like there's those, that emotional context. And I realized like 10 years on, I'm like, man, I think God has done enough work in my life that I can acknowledge, yes, that person betrayed me, or that person abandoned me, or that person said that really hurtful thing, but I don't feel bound by that anymore. Like, I feel released from it. The other thing that God was working with me through that is I move from that feeling of, um, like, unforgiveness, we almost give power over the other person to determine who we are. Like, I shift over to pity, which that's the thing that I know the Lord needs to work on me with, is like, I look at those people, and they no longer have power over me, but I pity them and where they're at in life, and I know that's not very good because I'm still not letting them be a human being in this moment. So I was really pondering this idea of forgiveness and healing. And I, and I recognized, um, I think, like, looking at this idea, forgiveness of sin. Okay, what is sin? I, 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 for the most part, have moved beyond this idea that we have a lot in the Western church that sin is a legal infringement, like there are rules, and you broke the rules, you know, like a traffic violation. Uh, so then you have to go to court, and it's going to be, are you a bad girl or a bad boy or a good girl or a good boy, and then you're going to get a rap on the knuckles. So there's going to be, you know, like that whole courtroom thing that we have in the West, when we think about sin, it externalizes what sin is 
And it makes us just think about being good or being bad, and it's about behavior modification. And not only do I think it's not really honoring the depth of what sin is in the biblical sense, like there, that's some of the imagery, but it doesn't seem to be the core imagery. It's also not particularly interesting to me. And for one of the reasons being that when we think about sin that way, we want to reject and hide from sin as much as possible. And I think that the deeper uh, biblical view of sin is that it's a, it's a deep sickness. Um, it's sin, it's an illness, but it's, an, it's a soul illness. It's at the core of us. And it, so sin, it's, it's so much, like it so much addresses this, our core soul self that it manifests in the way that we see the world and how we treat people, how we treat ourselves, and how we treat God. Um, and that's, those are the symptoms. But the real thing at the core um, is this deep soul sickness. Now, you would never come to a sick person, and I tell many of you this when we're doing spiritual direction because you're so hard on yourself. You'd never go to a hospital and be like, I can't believe you broke your leg. What a horrible person you are. You know what I mean? Um, I can't believe that you got COVID. Like, you're a terrible person. That happened a lot, right? Um, we generally speaking, if we're halfway decent people, we don't um, ostracize or penalize people for being sick. We recognize they require compassion and care. And when I see Jesus deal with sin, that's what I see him doing. Because elsewhere, like right after this story, is a story where he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And again, these religious elite are wagging their finger, being like, how dare you do that? You're being a, a bad Jewish boy by engaging with those kinds of people. And he says, it's not the healthy that need the doctors, it's the sick. And so it's Jesus, it, like this is so cool to me. Like Johnny and I were talking this a couple weeks ago. You realize the fact that you're a sinner makes Jesus want to be with you even more? Like we were talking about it. It's like we can get into this thing of like, oh, I'm no longer a sinner. I don't want to blah, 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 blah. It's like Jesus loves sinners. And if that's who Jesus loves, like I want to be where Jesus loves. And it's not a truth of who you are, but it is a reality of the way that you live your life. And so then what do we see forgiveness as? This forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness is a release or a letting go that sets us free from the past. But it also sets um, the forgiver and the forgiven free. I always think about forgiveness as when we chain ourselves and the offender to a moment in the past. Like we literally, we, we, we put a stake in the ground in that moment in the timeline, and then there's a very short chain. And no matter how far in the timeline we move, we go, nope, you're still judged by that moment. That's what we do when we don't forgive people. We say, no, you are still that person. You are still what you said to me. You're still what you did to me. You're still what you didn't do or how you didn't show up. Whatever it is, we judge people in the present moment by what they have done in the past, and our unforgiveness binds them to that moment in history and doesn't allow them to move forward in their story. But what we don't realize is that we do the very same thing to ourselves. When we hold unforgiveness, when we don't let people go, we say, no, I'm also binding myself to that moment. I'm also determining who I am because of what you've done to that place in the past, and we can't move forward. And over time, unforgiveness becomes bitterness. And we cannot move forward in our stories with God because we are attached to this. We can't let go of what happened in the past. We can't let it go. And you see this in our societal issues right now where constantly the pendulum is swinging between a fierce reckoning of our past, whether it's communal or personal or whatever, 
um, and then trying to erase the past and pretend like it doesn't exist and say that that's forgiveness. Um, and it's neither of those things. There's a deep um, acknowledgement of past wounds, but having the courage and the patience to work through it in real time to learn how to be released from those things. And so unforgiveness chains both the offender and the offended into a moment in the past through sin, through enslavement, and eventually through death. And so when Jesus forgives us of our sins, it's not some abstract legal declaration that God makes over us. It's that God undoes the chains that you hold yourself to in the past and the offense that God could take. You know, God's probably offended all the time by the things that you do. Like you hurt God's feelings all the time, right? Like I hurt God's feelings all the time. God has, we look at Jesus and we see God has feelings. But God doesn't hold that against us. He says, no, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to release you from those things that would bind you into the past so you can continue to move forward with me into the present moment and into my future. So the forgiveness is the entryway into the kingdom of heaven. It's after forgiveness then that we begin to see healing. So the human God addresses our deepest soul afflictions, our sin. He deals with that before he brings justice to the symptoms of our outer world. And this is one of the things that we see oftentimes in, um, in addiction and recovery theory. Um, in, there's a very particular way of looking at addictions, and classics being drugs and alcohol or pornography or whatever, um, that those things in and of themselves are not problems, okay? Um, alcohol is not a problem. Drugs are not a problem. Pornography is not a problem. In a very specific sense, those are solutions to a problem. They're not very good solutions. Can I get the addicts to say amen? Um, they're not very good solutions, but they are, they're an attempt to deal with a far deeper sickness. And so that's what happens oftentimes that people, the symptom is dealt with. Maybe they stop drinking or they stop doing drugs or they stop looking at pornography, but the it just manifests in some other way. Maybe they become filled with rage and, and really abusive towards their spouse. Maybe they become addicted to work and they're just constantly on the move and they can't slow down to actually be at rest. Um, the, 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 the symptoms will just manifest in these other things until the core issue is really dealt with. And so that, in a very specific way, I think is what God does for us, is that when he addresses these deepest soul afflictions that we have, the deepest sin in our lives, the sickness that we carry, then he also deals with some of these symptoms on the other side. And this is what we see in this story with this man, that Jesus looks to the heart of him and says, yes, he is, uh, he's a paralytic, like the man cannot walk, he, but that's, that's a, and that's important, that's valuable to Jesus, absolutely. But he's like, there's this deeper thing that needs to be addressed in this man's life for him to be truly free, to be truly healed. Because if that thing's not dealt with, maybe he's not paraplegic, but maybe something else happens in his life and he enters into a deep depression or whatever it might be. And so Jesus addresses that deepest thing in him. When we learn to receive and offer forgiveness, that becomes a lens by which we can more clearly administer justice. Okay, So I think restoration, healing, justice. Again, all relatively the same thing. And what is justice? It's our desire to see the world put back 
to rights, put back the way that God intended for it to be. If we do not deal with forgiveness, when we try to administer justice, what happens? Vengeance. We become revengeful. If we do not forgive the people that have hurt us or offended us, again, that deepest soul-level thing that needs to be dealt with, we lash out at our enemies. We lash out at our offenders. We call it justice. And then even worse, we project onto God. Well, that's the kind of justice that God wants as well. Look at our political climate. Look at the way that our two parties just tit for tat, just, just carve chunks out of one another. That there's always, it's always somebody else's problem, you know? And whether it's the far right's grievances against all these new groups that they're having to contend with, or whether it's the far left's grievances against the status quo, the people that have been power for too long, like they're just carving chunks out of each other day after day after day. Because there's no forgiveness. There's no release of offense. There's no contending with humanity in process. And there's this interesting little line in, in Romans where Paul says, do not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. As it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So he says, leave revenge up to God and do not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think part of that is forgiveness. And the little punchline for us as Christians, we go, okay, Vengeance is God's. We look at Jesus and go, oh, vengeance looks like dealing with sin and death. Vengeance is not retributive. God's justice is not retributive. He's not looking to beat everybody up who's done bad things. God's justice is restorative because God is the only one who can see us clearly. And when we forgive, we begin to see a little bit more clearly the people who have offended us the people who have abused or manipulated or oppressed, and we see them as people in desperate need of forgiveness of their sin so that they can be healed and restored by God. God's justice is always restorative because it starts with that inward forgiveness and it works outward. So in that note that I invited you to open up, we're going to spend some time meditating on these three questions I think are elicited from this story. And I want you to do some work with Jesus right now. Number one, what are boundaries that I have constructed, whether you've created them or they've been handed to you, between myself and the human God? What's the roof that I need to tear up so that I can draw close to Jesus? Number two, who is carrying me close to him when I don't have the strength to get there on my own? Who are my friends? The ones who would actually, when I don't feel like I've got it, they're coming around me and they're saying, let's go, we're gonna take you there. And then number three, what is the soul level cause of my afflictions that lies beneath the symptoms? It's not about your surface behavior. It's not about your addictions. What's the deepest thing within you, the, the ailment of your soul that you need to receive forgiveness in so that you can begin to offer that forgiveness to others? And this is what Jesus tells us. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And that if you don't forgive others, you yourself will not be forgiven. That you're not dealing with the deepest things that God wants to bring healing to. So I'm going to give you three minutes 
Um, and I want you to do some, do some real work with Jesus in this moment. Give you about one more minute. If you need time to continue writing, you can do so. Um, but otherwise, I want to invite you to stand with me. And in a moment, we're going to worship, and uh, Jenna's going to give us some instructions for prayer. Um, but I think this is, this is the important turnaround for us, that as followers of the human God, we have the authority to forgive as we have been forgiven that we become as part of the body of Christ, as Jesus' body, his hands and feet. We administer that forgiveness to people that need what, what it is that we have received. And I think the irony is, I don't, I don't claim to know how this works, but the more that we learn how to really forgive other people, the more we're capable of receiving forgiveness. 
I think is a big part of it that when we are unforgiving of ourselves, when we're cruel to ourselves, um, when we hold ourselves to these ridiculously high standards, we project that outwards onto other people and we lash them to the same standards that we lash ourselves to. And so the more we practice forgiving others, letting, releasing them from past offenses and entering into the, the kingdom of heaven, the more we're able to receive that. And so you're going to be invited in a moment to come forward and receive prayer. And the questions that I want you to bring to that person and by extension to Jesus is, what ails you? What sickness do you carry within you? Do you need forgiveness today? Do you need restoration? Do you need justice? What is it that you need from Jesus in this moment that someone can come alongside of you in the same way that the paraplegic had real friends to intercede on his behalf, uh, to draw him close uh, to the human God? So I'm going to pray, and Jenna will give us some instruction. Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open and all desires known, and from you, no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thought of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.